The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church, and thank you so much for joining with us on this weird, cold Sunday morning. Um, this is crazy. I, I, growing up in San Antonio, you go 30 years without seeing winter weather, really, and we've gone just a matter of weeks. This is insane. Uh, but here's what's, ex- what's exciting about all this is um, it doesn't stop us from coming together around God's Word uh, this morning. In fact, I'm so excited about Romans 8, what we're looking at, no amount of cold weather is going to stop us from gathering around it. So um, I'm excited for this morning. I'm glad you're here. We are going to get right to work this morning. Uh, By the way, it's just me. uh, So we're going to miss Caitlin and her team. We're going to miss our scripture readers and prayer leaders communion. We're going to miss all those things this morning. Uh, We're going to simplify And this morning, we're going to just come around God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, and I believe God has something for us this morning as we look at Romans 8. So let me pray for us, and then we are going to get right to work. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Word. Um, Thank you for the way it anchors us, no matter what we face, the way it is untrue and unchanging. We thank you that you chose to tell us who you are that you chose to tell us about what you have done, your plan, and who we are in you. Uh, This morning, I I pray that you would reveal more of who you are to us. I pray that through your word, you would um, stir our affections for Christ. And I pray that you would use this time, no matter where we are gathering together from this morning, that you would use this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, church, as we dig into this text, um, I want to bring out and and speak directly to one of the biggest challenges that I have seen when it comes to Christianity, whether it comes from um, uh, an atheist or an agnostic, or whether it comes from us just wrestling as Christians with our faith, there is one issue that you hear from Um, from so many when it comes to Christianity, this is a big one, in other words. And and it's been called the problem of evil. The problem of evil. So the problem of evil, it's basically this. How could a good God allow all this evil? I mean, if he's good, truly good, and if he is truly all-powerful, then how is the world like this? I mean, how, how is, is all this evil allowed to exist? Um, have you ever asked that? Have you ever gone through something in your life or in a loved one's life and you look at it and you say, God, how could this be? How could you let this happen, God? Um, have you ever been asked that by someone who is wrestling with their faith of, of, I just don't understand how God could let this happen. By the way, it's okay, church. Here at Stone Oak Bible Church, it is okay for you to admit these questions to your God. You're, in other words, your God can handle your honesty. I don't know if you've um, 
realize this, but just reading the Psalms, you see these honest cries out to, to God. Well, well, God can handle our honesty as we come before him with the problem of evil. Um, and it, it's, there's been countless books written about this, by the way. And um, some have gone way too far in trying to get to the bottom of this and understanding it. Uh, we have some who have said, well, well, God must not be fully powerful. I mean, if he's good, he can't be really fully in charge of everything or else uh, he, he needs to be limited in some way to account for this. We've had others who, trying to understand this, have said, well, God is all-powerful. He must not be all that good. Uh, he must be trying to just smite us all or, or, or something like that. We've, we, um, you used to hear this actually a lot when, when, or at least I have, when natural disasters hit or when something happens, a sickness, and, and all of a sudden there's this cry of, well, God must be angry. God must be judging someone's sin. You get a headache. Well, what sin did you commit? I don't know if you've heard that before, or that line of thinking. Church, it's dangerous. Both of these are insufficient ways to, to, for us to understand the problem of evil. Now, can our God intervene and, and cause things like this as his way of judgment? Absolutely. We look through scripture and we see earthquakes. We see plagues, fires, and, and the like. Uh, we see that. Um, so could God use these things as judgment? Absolutely. But, but here's, the, here's the reality. We need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap that Job's friends fell into when thinking about the problem of evil. Do you remember what happened in Job's story? He goes through suffering like, uh, like you can't even imagine. Uh, he loses his wealth. He loses his health. He loses his possessions. I mean, he loses, he loses his family. And what happens? His friends come to, them, come to him and spend literally 30 chapters <laughs> trying to get to the bottom of how bad things could happen to Job. And he literally... They come to him and they say, what did you do? What have you done? You've done something to cause this, Job. You've, you, you've obviously done something. God wouldn't have let this happen if you were truly righteous. You hear it? It's a wrestling with the problem of evil. It's, it's, it's what have you done, Job? Right? Well, here's the reality. They were dead wrong. <laughs> Job, the, the book of Job ends with... with God revealing himself and these friends being dead wrong and it ends with them repenting. And so church, we need to be careful to not fall into the same trap that Job's friends fell into as we look at the problem of evil. We need to be careful, church, to not strip God of his power or his goodness as we seek to, to answer the problem of, of evil. Here's the reality, church. I believe that our text today is one of the most important texts that we need to consider as we think about the problem of, of evil. In verses 16 and, and 17 that we looked at last week, if you remember what Paul says, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then what did Paul finish our time with last week? Listen to this. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He says, provided that we suffer with him. Church, as we look at our text today, the context of our text today is suffering, Christian suffering. Christian suffering. And in the suffering, we are going to see several things. Paul is going to reveal some some big truths over the next couple of weeks. Um, and, And right off the bat, I just want us to just take in the first verse of our text today. It says this in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says, For I consider... Meaning, I think about my sufferings. This is my, the perspective I have, Paul says, with the, to the sufferings that I face. And he says this, they're not even worth comparing to the glory that's coming. Not even worth comparing. If, if, if this were a scale and you put the full weight of suffering on this side and the full weight of glory on this side, it's not even worth comparing. It's not even worth comparing, Paul says. Church, if you find yourself shaken deeply by the trials that you're facing today, if you find yourself overcome and overwhelmed by the suffering that you see, or the fear of suffering, or the anxiety that comes with suffering, or future suffering, if that's you, the remedy for this is fixing our eyes on the coming glory, Paul says. The coming glory. You might hear that and you might think, well, yeah, pastor, that's great, but that sounds super churchy. What does that mean for us? What does that mean? Listen, the simple truth here is this. The, your perception, your perception of struggle and glory have an inverse relationship. And here's what I mean by that. The bigger you see the coming glory that is yours in, in Jesus, the bigger that is, the smaller your perspective is on the problems you face. At the same time, the inverse of that is true. The smaller your eternal perspective of glory is, church, the bigger your perspective often is of the troubles you're facing today in the here and now. And I want to be clear, I don't want to downplay the struggles that you are facing they're not easy. They are real. They are difficult. I mean, we already brought this up in Job, but, but nothing he faced was easy. Nothing he faced. And I don't want to downplay at all any of the troubles or the, the, the trials that you might be facing. But I also do not want to downplay the glory that is coming. I don't want to downplay that. And so... Here's how I thought about this, okay? Uh, indulge me just for a moment here. This, this is San Antonio, Texas. It's a big city. I mean, so many people, I mean, as I th- like 1.5 million people and counting here, San Antonio, Texas, big city. But you know what? Let's zoom out. This is, what is this? This is Texas. Texas. We Texans, we brag about how big things are here in our state. 
everything is bigger in Texas, right? You can drive for days, it seems, in the state of Texas and never leave. Um, it's big, but you know what? As we zoom out, <laughs> it's not all that big when you take this in, is it? Well, let's, let's zoom out again. This, this globe makes Texas <laughs> relatively small, let alone a dot that you can't even see representing San Antonio. True Texans are, are offended by this statement, but, but that globe makes Texas seem rather, rather small. Uh, but check this out. That little guy, that little third rock right there is, is the globe. Can't even see Texas at this point, let alone San Antonio. Uh, well, how about now? Um, the bigger-than-life Texas is now microscopic in comparison to the vastness of our galaxy. Should I say it's not even worth comparing? Now, if you're wondering where you are, um, check this out. That, that's you. You can't see you, but th just this general area, this general arrow here, that's, you're somewhere in there. Somewhere in there is the sun that is so huge for us, right? Um, here's what Paul is saying here, church. Some of you, some of us, we have Texas-sized problems. Texas-sized problems. And Texas, church, Texas is big. Some of you have Texas-sized problems. But Texas-sized problems, church, re require us to zoom to zoom out, and when compared to the glory that is coming, they do not compare. Your tech, you may have Texas-sized problems, but you have a galaxy-sized glory in Christ. And this morning, Paul is not downsizing your struggles. He's simply upsizing our perspective on the glory that is to be revealed to you, to us in Christ. Church, whatever we are facing, the coming glory is better and it will be worth it all. Worth it all. The remedy for enduring the struggles of life is fixing your eyes on the coming glory. So as we think about the problem of evil, the first thing we see in this text Often, it's not a problem of quote-unquote evil. It's a problem of glory. It's, it's our perspective and our understanding of glory is far too small. And our perspective and our understanding as it, as, as it is too small as we look at the glory, uh, all of a sudden our perspective of the struggles we face in life get all the bigger and bigger until they become all that we can see. And that's why Paul says, that's why Paul, he, he says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And let's continue. Look at with me at 19, 20, and 21 for Paul says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This church is perhaps the single biggest thing that we need to understand when it comes to understanding the brokenness of the world in which we live. Church, let me ask you this. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? What happened in Genesis chapter 3? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, church, we have the story of Adam and Eve. We have what has often been called the fall. And it's the story of the first sin. It's Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God, to distrust God, and to not obey His Word. It's the story of Adam and Eve taking and eating that fruit. It's the story of sin. And and in this scripture, we read about the consequences of, of this sin as as well as they get kicked out of the garden. You remember this? Genesis chapter 3. It was awful. And and where they were once walking in intimacy with God, because of sin, they are now expelled out on their own. Right? That's Genesis chapter 3. All of that is true, but, but that's not it. That's not all. Because here's the reality. The sin did not just impact themselves. Sin had a far larger impact, church. And so let's take a journey back just real quick into Genesis chapter 3. And and let me read this to you. Genesis chapter 3, let me read in verse 8. And they heard, this is Adam and Eve, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Um, This is what sin does, by the way. It it brings on this shame that drives them into the shadows. But here's what happened, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound uh, of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? God said, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And here, church, is where the blame game starts. The man, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she's the one. She gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord turns to the woman and the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And what does the woman say? Here she says, The serpent deceived me. The serpent you created, God. He deceived me and and I ate. Blame, blame, blame. And now here's where God's judgment comes. To the serpent, to the woman, to the man. Listen to this, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, all beasts of the fields. You're going to go on your belly. You're going to, and dust, you're going to eat all the days of your life. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, her offspring. And listen, he, he, he shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. This is the first glimpse, by the way, church, of God's redemption plan right here. 
we see this reference of one day Jesus crushing the enemy, death, hell, and the grave. Already you see it here. But then listen to this, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Then he points to the man. God says this, verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Listen to what God said. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you're going to eat of it all the days of your life. He says, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground out of which you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There is a lot here, church. A lot here. But for our time this morning, I want to laser in on something. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, I want to state the obvious here, it did not just affect them personally. It had far-reaching and devastating effects. First of all, we see that it impacted all of humanity. Um, that we are all sinners in Adam. That we are all sinners. That we, Adam and Eve, are our common parents and they sin as a result. All humanity is broken. We've talked about this before, but this is the idea of total depravity, church. That, that there is not one of us who is not in need of the grace of God. One of us who is righteous apart from Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We've talked about this quite a bit in Romans already, but church, don't miss this because the fall impacted more than just humanity. The impact of the fall also extended to creation itself. Um, even when God's judgment to Adam, even in that judgment, you see the curse that God places on the very ground. On the ground. What is this? Well, the fall broke things. Church, things are not the way they should be. We look around and, and, and it, here's the reality. We, we know things are not the way they should be. In here in my heart and out there in creation, things are broken. In other words, not only are we fallen, but we live in a fallen world. Not only are we broken, but church, we live in a broken world. And because that is true, salvation and redemption is not only about you personally being made right with God. Praise God, that's true. But salvation and redemption is about all creation being redeemed and made right because of the work of God. Because of His Plan. So listen again to Paul's words in Romans 8. He says, for the, what? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And then listen, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, God created the world and it was good. Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve sinned, and we have the fall in Genesis 3. Creation was subjective to futility by God Himself after the fall, Genesis 3. 
And God himself initiated his plan before time began to redeem creation through his son to make all things right again. Genesis 4 through Revelation 22. That's how it all fits. This is exactly what Paul says here. Listen to this. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. As we consider the problem of evil, um, as we've already said, many times the problem of evil comes because our view of glory is far too small. Um, our Texas-sized struggles and pains are overwhelming and we don't see them in contrast to the weight, the galaxy-sized weight of glory that is ours in Christ. But also, when we consider the problem of evil, many times our the problem comes from our incomplete view of the fall and redemption. That that and, and let me bring this to just today. Let's get very real. COVID nineteen um, came on the scene about a year ago, and it really started to spread. and And we were stepping into a global pandemic. We had no idea it, it was going to impact so much. Um, and as it all began, I remember, distinctly remember the reaction from some Christian leaders at the time it happened. And I remember specifically a pastor that came from, the, uh, from a movement, a word faith movement. And I remember a statement that was made. It was ridiculous and dangerous. But there was a statement made that, that Christians will not get the coronavirus. Christians won't get the coronavirus. And there was a quoting of, whether it be Mark 16, that quotes about how Christians you know, can handle snakes and not be bitten. Or there was a quote of even Romans 8.37 that calls us more than conquerors. They would quote texts like Philippians 4.13 that says, we can do all things through Christ, not realizing, by the way, that both Romans 8.37 and Philippians 4.13 are both written to us in the context of suffering. But forgetting all of that, they made this statement and said, you see, you see, Christians, we don't go through that stuff. Not if you have faith. You don't go through that stuff. Viruses are not welcome in the Christian's body. I heard all of this. What's the problem with that church? What's the problem with that church? Well, so many things are problems with that. But one of the most devastating lies of the enemy is to get us to believe and to expect that heaven is now. Uh, to get us to believe that the fall of Genesis 3 was not that bad and that we don't live in that broken of a world. If he can get you to expect church heaven in a broken world, he can drive you to discouragement, he can drive you to confusion, and he can drive us to make absolutely foolish statements like true Christians won't ever get a virus. Let's learn from Job's friends without repeating them. 
Let's learn from Paul's words here that say creation itself is fallen. We live in a fallen world and things are not the way that they should be. We will face brokenness in this life on many levels. The brokenness in ourselves, in our own hearts. The brokenness of others when we are hurt by others. And the brokenness of creation. Whether that be fires and earthquakes, floods, natural disasters, sickness, or viruses. Here's the good news. The the gospel is this. You are fallen. I am fallen. We live in a fallen world. And the gospel of Jesus is that the plan of redemption that encompasses it all was set in motion from the beginning by a God who loves you. Redeeming us redeeming us in our sin. God has a plan through Jesus Christ to redeem all of creation by grace, through faith. You, church, are invited into that redemptive plan. Here's the truth of Scripture. The problem of evil is the problem of our fallen and broken world. It is not because our God is not good. It is not because our God is not all powerful. It is because of sin and because of the fall. Hear me. Our God is so good. Our God is so powerful that he did not leave us in that state. But he, out of his grace, has a plan of redemption. In other words, church, listen. The remedy for the problem of evil is the gospel. This is what the gospel is all about. It is God's plan to redeem us and to ultimately, church, eliminate the problem of evil. Eliminate brokenness and pain. This church is our hope. In fact, let's talk a little bit about our hope. Um, I had you turn all the way to the very beginning of your Bibles in Genesis 3. I think it is only fitting now, church, that I have you turn to the very end of your Bible in Revelation 21. So if you could, if you could find your place with me in Revelation 21. um, Here's what we saw in Genesis 3. We saw that the fall was all-encompassing and that the fall involved a brokenness of all creation. Well, how fitting is it that in Revelation 21, we see the impact of the gospel is also all-encompassing. The impact of the gospel involves a redemption of all creation. Listen to this, verses 1 and, uh, through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And in church, listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning, crying, pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. Church, our hope, our hope is that this broken world will be made new. Our hope is that just as we are new creations in Christ, that our hope is ultimately that all creation will be made new. And that church is exactly what Paul is driving us to see in Romans 8. That one day church is not going to be the way it is now. In light of Genesis 3. In light of Revelation 21. Let's listen to our text again. It says, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, pause. I, I know I'm a, I'm a man, and uh, I have not given birth, and I might not have the right to say this, but I, I was in the room. And um, listen, there's something incredible here. Because I remember seeing my wife endure the pain, go through the craziness of childbirth. And then in that moment when our baby was handed to her, it's all worth it. it all the pain, worth it. Even the nine months, just worth it. All worth it. I think it's incredible that Paul chooses this analogy that all the pain and all the struggle of, of it all, of all life, it will all be worth it. When in, compared to the glory that is coming, we know that all creation groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then listen to this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Meaning, church, those saved by faith in Christ are dwelled, indwelled by the Spirit of God. And those indwelled by the Spirit of God will be glorified, made perfect, and made new. This, uh, Paul, same Paul, by the way, says this in, in um, Philippians 6, says, For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. In the suffering church, this is our hope. We live by the Spirit in a fallen world in hope that all things will be redeemed through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Paul, he, he, he ends with this in our text today. He says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope is not, hope that is seen is not hope, he says. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. As simple as the sound Paul sounds, Paul reminds us what hope really is. Uh, hope is not something that we see. Hope is not something that we hold in our hands. Hope involves a not yet future. Um, let me give you a ridiculous example. Just real quick, uh, it would be crazy for me to stand here today and, and say, Oh, I hope to marry Candace one day. 
That's insane. You would hear that and say, Pastor, you're, you're crazy. You are already married to Candace. You can't hope for that. You already are that. Um, in the same way, Paul says this, you can't hope for something that is already your reality. You, you can't hope for something that is already seen. In other words, we are saved by grace through faith and we are made new yet at the same time, church. We are not yet perfected. We are not yet glorified. We are not yet living in heaven. We still battle with sin. We still face sickness. We still endure trials and struggles and pain. In hope that one day we will no longer face those battles. In hope that one day, the trials, the struggles, they're going to be no more. See, we live in a fallen world facing earthquakes, facing fires, facing viruses, and even death, church. In hope that one day, natural disasters, viruses, and even death itself will be, will be no more. Will be no more. This is our hope. As I think, as we think about the problem of evil... And as we live in a fallen world, as we face trials and as we face struggles, as we face sickness and pain and hurt, here is our call. Look up. Look to the future glory that is ours in Christ and do not lose hope because the future glory that is ours in Christ, church, will be worth it all will be worth it all. Look to Jesus. And as Paul says, as he, saw, as he says, but if we wait, about, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, you remember what he said? With patience. With patience. We look forward to the glory of Christ, the glory that is ours through the gospel, and we wait for it, in patient, we in patience, we patiently wait for our hope to be realized. In church, we're gonna pick up right there as we come together next week. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this moment and for your word. And I pray for all of my brothers and sisters right now. Some I know that are in going through trials and pains and some who are wrestling and, and I just pray that in this moment through your word you would strengthen our hope that we have in the gospel. Not only that we are saved but that you are working together all things, making all things new and we hold to the hope that one day all things will be made right for the glory of Christ. We hold to that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.